Hey, y'all, and welcome into the Knollcast. This is Bud Elliott, and uh, Ingram has the night off. Happy birthday, Ingram. He's actually at a concert with his lady, so tonight I'm just going to be taking some questions here, dropping a little uh, little intel and giving some thoughts after, after having a chance to rewatch the Florida State game, uh, and Graham will be back in time for the Syracuse preview. So with that, let's go ahead and get right into it. As always, we thank our title sponsor, Louisiana Hot Sauce, as well as Tarpon Cellars. Just awesome products right there. I put Louisiana hot sauce on basically everything except for my Tarpon Cellars wine. Tarpon Cellars wine, a great gift to give somebody for the holidays coming up. Maybe bring a bottle of it with you to Thanksgiving. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get into our questions. Uh, most of these come from Patreon, but some of them also come uh, from email and from Twitter. That's just nolcast at gmail.com at nolcast or patreon.com slash nolcast if you are so inclined. Uh, first one comes from Dan, and he says, why doesn't FSU run more RPO? Well, they, they did run some RPO in this game. Um, you know, they, they ran some in the first half, uh, a little more in the second half, and sometimes it worked, and sometimes uh, it didn't. Generally, uh, teams that can man you up are going to make it more difficult for you uh, to run RPOs. And Louisville uh, is a team that can play man if they want to. Wake Forest certainly came out and played a lot of man. Uh, you know, if, if you're playing man on the back end, uh, that is a better defense to play if you have better athletes. Obviously, there are some there are some vulnerabilities, but you're not necessarily <clears throat> going to get sucked up in that run read if you're that defender if you're in charge of guarding that man. So uh, that is one reason why teams are playing FSU more manned up than they have in the past. Uh, at least according to you know, Kennedy Dillingham, I think the, the numbers back him up as well on that. So that's kind of one of the main reasons. You can't just, hey, let's go play more RPO uh, if teams can just man you up, which so far they've been able to. Uh, there was a, a bit of a problem in this game, too, in that FSU's receivers, for the most part, were pretty locked down. Uh, and with the offensive line being so hamstrung, uh, Louisville routinely got pressure without blitzing. So a three, sometimes four-man rush would get home. And that was really problematic because if you can cover with five and you can get home with three, um, you know what? That's problematic because that means you have three other defenders to kind of be wild cards. If you want to put them in some robber zones or, or have, have one play deep middle, you can do kind of whatever you want with them. Uh, and that is, that's difficult to stop or to beat really as an offense, but certainly a, uh, Certainly something that maybe they'll look into doing more of depending on, on the team, right? <clears throat> all right. So, uh, Roche asks, uh, did you all hear the news about Evan Stewart? I assumed recruits would be at least wait until their season was up. What are potential risks for these recruits might be overlooking? So, uh, Evan Stewart is a five-star receiver out of the state of Texas. A recruiting battle, I think, between Florida and Texas. A super fast kid, really good player. Uh, he's decided to basically opt out of the rest of his senior season and uh, and to, you know, go uh, go get ready to play in college. Ultimately, I, I look, I don't know his personal situation. I know he's pretty famous on TikTok, obviously, and, and we'll probably be able to monetize that. I don't know exactly how TikTok advertising works, but, uh, you know, somebody who got in on the podcast monetization game pretty early on, uh, I wish him luck in that endeavor. But look, 
if he's got what he what he thinks he's need, needed to get out of, out of high school football, he's not an employee of whatever high school he goes to, right? He, bottom line, you are risking more injury by continuing to play those high school games if you're already that level. Now, we want to see you keep playing them, personally. As, a, as an analyst, as somebody who evaluates these players, I want you to keep playing because I want to see more tape on you. I want to see that competitive temperament, et cetera, et cetera. But look, what, what if Josh Sweat had not blown up his knee in high school, right? He was already a megastar by the time he got hurt. What, what if what if he had decided to, to forgo his senior season? Does he do better at Florida State? Does he get drafted higher? I mean, I know he just got a nice second contract in the NFL, which is awesome. Congrats, Josh, on that. Does, does he go second round, maybe, as opposed to, to when he went? You see this in baseball plenty, right? Some guys will play high school ball. Uh, but on the pitcher side, hey, I'm only going to pitch this many innings or or whatnot. Like, I'm not going to throw 100 and something pitches in, in, in a game. You know, for a lot of us, high school football is, a, is an opportunity of a lifetime as far as you know, being able to be part of a special team, and you're going to have these memories forever. But for the very select few out there, the guys who are like no doubt five stars, it's kind of a means to an end. And once you reach that end and you're, you have all the scholarship offers you could ever want, I mean, I, I think more guys will do this probably coming up, uh, not less. Uh, second question from Roche. What can Norvell and the staff do in the second half of the season to persuade uncommitted recruits to join the 2022 class? Uh, well, if you read some of the comments from recruits to Chris Knee on Knowles 24-7, they do a great job. Uh, you can tell that FSU is selling playing time. That has been a consistent message for them throughout the year is to sell that playing time, right? Um keep selling it, you can kind of point to the product on the field and say, hey, you don't think there's playing time? I thought Norvell's rant, uh, not rant, but just kind of impassioned answer to Corey Clark's question uh, was it was pretty good. I don't, I don't know what else he can really say at this point. I mean, there's certain things he can't say, right? Like he can't be like, oh, man, our defensive backs show up to meetings high, so uh, you know, I'd like to go ahead and clean house there and start with a clean slate, but those are some of our, our more talented kids in the program, so we're having to still work with them, even though I didn't recruit those guys who did that. Uh, you know, got to got to try to you know, keep that going, and maybe they, we can turn them around. Um, you know, offensive line wise, guys, we we felt good about seven dudes coming in. Three or four of them are hurt. A couple of our guys right now who are starting are pretty obviously playing hurt or not recovered fully from offseason surgery, based on the way they're playing compared to what we saw to them last year. There, there's there's plenty of time to be had all over the place, but look, as, as a recruit, you're going to have to determine, do you want to be part of something like this, or do you want to go somewhere that's already more established? And there's nothing wrong with going somewhere more established, right? Just not. Um, you know, that's just, it is what it is. Uh, and the kids who want to pick something that's going to be less established, that may be the type of kid that you need in this program right now to, to get some things turned around with this long-term rebuild. All right, Matt writes, uh, the situation with FSU feels similar yet strange. We are struggling, often looking inept on the field, like we did with Willie Taggart. Weirdly, I believe more Norvell because of the relationships in recruiting and the don't quit in his team as a whole. Does the booster base feel the same way? For example, do the boosters who write the checks for the program uh, do so reluctantly or with an excited eye to the future? Um, look, I can't speak for every booster out there. And I think different boosters probably have different thoughts. The boosters I know 
are pretty disappointed in the Jacksonville State loss. There are certainly some really big boosters who listen to this show, and so they're pretty apprised of um, all the injuries on the offensive line and the fact that, like, anybody with common sense knows this team's not going to score score very many points right now. But I'm sure they're pretty disappointed in, in, in the defensive side of the ball because that side of the ball has more talent than, than like, it's playing. And um, you know, I, I think that they're probably both understanding and disappointed. One of the key things here as compared to the last staff is that Norvell and company really sold this to the important people as a rebuild and not a reload. Like internally, that's been the messaging. They got in here. They knew they weren't good. They knew the roster was going to be messed up for quite a while because of all the short season classes that comprise it. Again, there's a reason they took 12 transfers because the players on the roster aren't very good or some of them had you know, some mental problems or real behavioral type issues. And it was kind of a cluster in part. Although the academics did get a lot better under Willie, which does help Mike in the long term for sure. Uh, I think most of these guys are pretty understanding that rapid coaching change can, uh, can cause problems, big problems. But yet they're still not happy, with, especially with, with the Jacksonville State loss. Like that's the one that is kind of unforgivable. You, you really mess that up as a coaching staff. And uh, I think it sent a message that maybe you don't have the buy-in from the team that you thought you had. All right. Um, uh, Lee asked a question about Norvell's message slash rant. Do you think it was needed? I mean, look, he got teed up. I, I Obviously, like I think Corey asked him a good question, but that was a fastball, and he hit it out of the park, I thought. Right? Seeing him get fired up is something I think probably more fans wanted to see. It can't hurt to send that to recruits, I would say. Um, you know. Uh, Ali also asks, uh, you guys have said before, it get worse before it gets better, and people just didn't want to hear it. With that being said, is this team as bad as their record indicates? I want to bring this up because I think it's 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 a point I want to discuss, right? Um, <clears throat> hmm. I, you can argue that this team is as bad as, as its record because it, it really screwed up the, the Jacksonville State game. However, their second-order wins on the year, which is not a perfect stat, but it is a, a stat that I, I do pay attention to, is 2.2. So, like, the baseline metrics say this team should be 2-2 two and two based on how they've played. You know, they, they've dropped all the way to 73rd in SP+. But 73rd, and that's they started out 50th in the preseason. Um, you know, 73rd is not, like, 100th or one-tenth. 73rd is not good. And I expect they'll keep dropping as more of the preseason stuff filters out of that. But ultimately, they've played a top 20 schedule to date, right? Or top 15. I think they're 15th nationally as far as schedule strength so far. And they're 0-4. That's difficult. Um, I do have some interesting stats on this. And, you know, um, I'm I'm interesting or interested to, to, to know what y'all think because I, I've seen a narrative out there that FSU like they made all these changes and they kept playing you know really well. Um, ultimately, I do think that 
part of the reason that they're playing better in these second halves is that opponents are not playing with the same amount of focus. And I think they are taking their foot off the gas. You ran more man coverage in the second half, and yet I do think Louisville is trying to protect its quarterback some. And he didn't take off and, and run maybe quite as much as he could have there in the second half as you were playing more of that man coverage. Um, here's an interesting note. So EPA per play. Before FSU goes down three scores in the game, FSU's offense, negative 0.16. FSU's defense, 0.25 allowed. So really, really bad there. Now, after FSU goes down 17 points through the rest of the game, FSU's offense, 0.12. FSU's defense, negative 0.07 allowed. It's a complete turnaround. So you tell me, like, is it adjustments they're making? Are we really buying that? Or do you think it's more to do with these other teams letting off the gas? Because when other teams are playing these guys straight up, FSU can't do a damn thing offensively or defensively. They're terrible on both sides of the ball until these other teams get these really big leads. I I know what I think. I'm not going to say adjustments don't matter at all, but ultimately I, I think part of this is opposing teams realizing FSU is not very good and kind of losing some focus and taking their foot off the gas. I, I, I fully believe that. So anyway, um, otherwise, explain those numbers to me. Ex- explain to me why why this team is so bad until they get down huge. None of the stuff FSU dials up is going to work compared to what they dial up after they get down 17 points through the rest of the game. Is, is that – I have a really hard time believing that, guys, personally. So, uh, yeah, it's good that, that they don't they don't quit in games, but – that only matters to judge whether they're quitting or not. I, 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 but yeah, these metrics are not picking up on this right now. They are seeing that the game is not technically in garbage time yet. And I do think that opposing teams are screwing up, not keeping the hammer down more in these games, right? Like they're not up 30. They're not 40. Like in some cases they're up like 18 or, or, you know, 15 or 16. And that's, that's probably not the time to let off the gas, but it's probably human nature having seen FSU lose uh, you know, to Notre Dame and then lose to Jacksonville State and then really just get worked by Wake Forest. I think it's it's you know kind of natural to think, okay, we have this thing in the bag. And FSU comes out and they still fight. All right, Logan asks, uh, what are your thoughts on the general buy-in of this team after this poor start? Would you say there may just be a small handful of players who aren't completely bought in or more? Ingram said a few weeks ago he wished some players at the 75% level of buy-in that Sean Corbin had, and we'd be in great shape. You might be misquoting a little. Uh, from from what has been hinted at above, or before, there are some players, most notably a very talented corner, uh, who may not have shown proper buy-in during practice throughout the week uh, and are being held accountable for what I could see during the second half of the Louisville game. Many players are still playing hard and trying to win as a team and playing their role. Look, they're still playing hard. There's a reason they haven't cut these guys loose yet. And Part of it is talent, but I think part of it is because it's not like they're all really bad kids, right? I think it's uh, I think they're still trying to work to get the full buy-in from some of these guys who Mike and his staff didn't recruit. The one thing is, and look, coaching staffs are always going to tell you, oh, my guys are bought in, right? I'm still trying to work on these other guys. So take that with a grain of salt. But that is the feedback I'm getting. So maybe there is something to that. Uh, Matt wants to know, uh, he says, hearing quotes from recruits about FSU 
and their their start really emphasizes the relationships built and the sales pitch of early playing time. No doubt about it. That is a big thing, right? Um, you would think that FSU would lose all these guys being 0 and 4 and probably headed for what? 3 and 9 as, as the the most likely outcome. Um, you know, at this point is 2 and 10 more likely than, than 4 and 8? I think so, probably. We'll see if they can beat Syracuse this weekend. If they can, then, then I'll probably change my mind on that, obviously. But look, this staff did work its butt off to recruit these guys and to build these relationships. And part of that is just being honest in recruiting, right? Part of that is saying, hey, we're not going to be very good. There's a reason we need you to come here. And not promising these guys, hey, we're definitely going to go to a bowl. Hey, we're going to win eight, nine, ten games. I don't think they did that. I think they their message was very much process and rebuild focused. And look, they'll lose some guys out of this class, right? I mean, do you really think they're going to sign Trayvon Williams, the, the kid from Mississippi? Maybe, but that's Woodson's going to have to work his butt off to keep him, obviously. Um, you know, are they going to keep Alu Ba? I don't know. Uh, he's always wanted to keep his options open and take more visits, and he's probably the best offensive lineman they have committed right now in the class, and George is on him. So we'll see. We will see. Uh, on that one. But I, I do think they've done a really nice job recruiting this class. Um, here's a question from Matt. He asks, how does the staff balance that message to recruits and keeping the current roster engaged and not lose the locker room? Well, uh, obviously you don't want that message to get to the current roster too much, but you have to sell playing time as opportunity. Like You don't want to tell the kids, hey, you don't want to tell the recruits, hey, our current kids suck, because then you're kind of uh, speaking ill of them. You want to say, hey, use your eyes. Let's identify. You, you guys can see it. There's plenty of time to be had here. So, although if you look like you did on Saturday, right, where the defensive backs and, and linebackers look poor, um, I don't know. If you're a DB, if you're a DB in, in, in town, if you're a linebacker in town, you know, if you're a little junior, if, if you're Wesley the Saint, what, what do you, what do you think coming out of that? Um, those guys aren't going to go on the record and, and bash the team, but realistically here, I'm sure that they weren't real impressed with that performance. Um, you know, if you were in the stadium, did it ever really feel like FSU had a shot to win that game? Not for me. I know what the scoreboard said, but it never really felt like they had a real shot to win that thing. Um, felt like they were out of it after about the first 20 minutes of the ball game. But with those two kids, uh, look, if Earl Little, if for some reason Bama doesn't have room, I think FSU actually has a shot, which is crazy to say, right? Um, with Pesanth, I know a lot of people think think Miami for him. I got to tell you, I think that, that West Virginia and Penn State are probably equally big threats as Miami. Obviously, Miami's not having a good year. Um, you know, their, their linebacking core does not, does not look very good, so there's playing time opportunity there just like there is in Tallahassee. So we'll have to see kind of what uh, what happens with that one. All right. Cool. So let's uh, – uh, TJ says, do you think our limited, quote-unquote, offensive success has come uh, from the fact that in, in games one and four there was no plan to rotate quarterbacks? 
Also, what's going on with Travis J of what you can speak of? Thank you for your realistic thoughts, and I hate that I missed last weekend. Uh, well, we missed you too, man. Township was a blast. A lot of folks came out, and we were excited to see him. Uh, certainly, you know, we'd like to have him more, but we understand kind of how the season is going. Well, I think that the main thing is that the Notre Dame game was by far the healthiest that the offense has been all year. And the health has just declined every week, essentially. Um, although, well, I, yeah, I guess they were less healthy for Louisville than they were for Wake Forest. So the, so the offensive health has kind of declined every single week as far as who's in the lineup and who's healthy in that lineup. Um, again, as I as I quoted earlier, like let's let's take a look at what happened before you got down by three scores and what happened after against Louisville. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it here, and total EPA before and after. Let me just go ahead and pull this up just so we make sure that we get all this right before the offense. Because Jordan Travis wasn't available to play, obviously, with his arm dinged up and his knee in the brace. Um, look, total EPA for FSU before they got they got down on offense, before they got down 17 points, negative 1.56. Total EPA on offense after that fact, 0.3. It's just a big difference. Okay, and maybe there's some adjustments in there, but realistically, you start hitting runs once once you're down three scores. You start hitting these short passes that that turn into some decent yak. You're not bombing it over the top on these guys. These defenses a lot of times are in pass rush stance against you. They're trying to get their sacks. They're they're trying to tee off, and FSU, to its credit, kind of realizes that's the only way it can move the ball is by continuing to try to run those some of these screens run a little bit of that RPO game, especially when the opponent's pass rushing. And we'll see, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out, right? So, uh, yeah. That's that's kind of my thought on that. I, I, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with not rotating the QBs. I mean, it wasn't like Milton played super well. He took a couple sacks that were on him. Um, he doesn't have an arm to drive the ball. I think his anticipation is very strong. His release is super quick. I uh, want to stop and thank our friends Shannon and Chad on the legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. Man, we had a ton of folks who came out to the Township Listener Appreciation event uh, who had used Shannon and Chad for their home loan. Over 200 now NOLCAST listeners have done, so we really appreciate that, guys. That is just absolutely awesome. Um, let's go ahead and uh, and take Jordan, or uh, well, there's no name on this question, but it starts out. Uh, Jordan Travis is clearly who you want running the offense right now if he's healthy. However, after watching what we had the past four games from Milton, is Purdy really that far behind understanding the offense slash game processing for the coaches to accept Milton's clear deficiencies with mobility and ability to push the ball downfield? I think so. Yeah, I do. I think if, I think if you started Purdy against Syracuse, uh, I would definitely pick Syracuse. I, I, I don't think Purdy uh, is ready, just from everything I hear. Sometimes coaches are wrong practices are wrong. Sometimes stuff like that happens. I guarantee you they didn't think Jordan Travis was going to be as good as he was when they stuck him in there last year. So I'm not going to come out here and tell you that there's no way they win if they played Chuppa Purdy. It's possible, but just I don't think that that is something that feels 
super likely that right now, you know? Uh, he continues, uh, or are we keeping Purdy off the field to ensure we don't mess up playing time message for Duffy? Look, based on what I've heard about Purdy, I don't think that they're worried about Purdy scaring off Duffy at all. Uh, he writes, one would think, given the offensive line struggles and injuries, you'd want some mobility behind the line. Yeah, but you also want the ball to come out fairly quickly, and I don't know that that's really happening with him. Uh, given that he's listed on the two deep now, do you think we see Purdy in this game if Travis isn't able to go? Or is this another game where they'll keep the offensive starters regardless of score for reps? I, I can't write it off. Purdy probably could play some in this game, maybe. I mean, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but uh, it wouldn't shock me if they use him some in in uh, in some of the running packages. He's he's more physical than Milton is, obviously, and, and a better athlete, I think, at this point in his career, given Milton's injury history. So who knows? Maybe we'll see it. I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to be the answer unless he takes a big-time step this offseason, which is possible. But again, how likely is it? Mm, I don't know. Steven writes, uh, take a look at Frank Beamer's first six years at Vatech. 87, 2 and 9, 88, 3 and 8, uh, 89, 6, 4 and 1, 90, 6 and 5, 91, 5 and 6, 92, 2, 8 and 1, 24 and 40 and 2, no bowl games, no appearances at the top 25. 93, Beamer was able to turn it all around and Vatech went 9 and 3, earned the win in the Independence Bowl, and finished number 22 in the country. The rest is history as the Hokies didn't have another losing season until 2018. I know college football is a different landscape now, but is there something to be said for waiting out several five-plus years with a coach to see if you can really turn things around? Huh. Um, if this was not the early signing period era and if FSU had not just fired a guy after 19 games, I think that next year would be a super important year for Mike Norvell. As it stands now, if I was a betting man, I would bet that he would get through 2023. I think they're going to give him four years. You can argue they made a mistake firing Willie when they did. Do I agree with that? I don't know. Like, I, I think there's there's reason to say yes, there's reason to say no. Part of the reason to say yes, though, is hindsight because they didn't know that COVID year was going to come, obviously, when they made that move. And that has had a significant impact on this program, no doubt. So I just don't think they're going to be in a position to, to make a rash move. I mean, who's going to come in here and turn things around super fast? They need Mike and his staff to keep recruiting, and they need to see what, what, what they can do as far as developing players and just provide some level of stability. I do know that the power players are confident in what Mike is doing at practice and behind the scenes as far as laying the foundation. But I don't think any kind of major turnaround is coming this year or next. Obviously, like this year, the thing I think that could help them out is if they get some people back who can block because they're not going to get better receiver talent all of a sudden, and the quarterback room is not going to transform all of a sudden. The only real major change I could see helping them this year is uh, is getting some of those offensive linemen back and healthier. Maybe the bye week helps them out with that. But, um, you know, right now, um, I do think he's going to get quite a bit of time just because they're not in a position to make any kind of crazy move like that. All right. Uh, Caleb asks, uh, hey, can it be said that FSU has been exempt from these type of rebuilds due to the long tenure of Bobby Bowden and the somewhat smooth transition to Jimbo for the last 40 years? That being said, it seems that literally every every blue button program in the country has gone through what we are now experiencing in order to get continuity back and to rise again to relevance. I look at it as it's our turn now and understand that 
as you pointed out repeatedly on your pod, this is a several year rebuild and we're going to have to take some lumps along the way. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what program out there has not rebuilt in recent memory? Like in my lifetime, what program has not rebuilt? The only one I could think of that hasn't had, you know, losing seasons and, you know, a stretch where it just looked like it would never get it turned around and it was hopeless is Ohio State, right? I mean, Ohio State, I don't think they've had a losing season that I can remember in a really long time. And if they did, they certainly didn't have multiple in a row. Other than that, I mean, Georgia's had them, Bama's had them, LSU's had them, Florida's had them, Miami's had them. FSU has had him. Clemson has certainly had him. Um, this feels insurmountable right now. And I do think FSU's situation is worse than others because of the way its roster is right now and with the portal and the ESP. It makes it more difficult to try to, to, to nail and thread that needle of the rebuild. But it's not impossible. And the first step is just making any step in the positive direction, which I think that they are doing in some measure right now. All right. Uh, Caleb also asked about a rumor D.R. King is done for the year. If it happens to be true, how winnable does that game become? I like the Garcia kid Miami signed last year, but certainly uh, a true freshman coming into Doak against the defense that I, well, against the run defense, it's pretty good. I think uh, against the pass defense that has not shown any signs of being good at all so far this year. We'll see how well Miami can throw. The, the real question there will be, is that a game where you can block them? Right now, I think the answer is no, right? I don't think you have any shot to beat Miami with this current offensive line setup. If you get a lot healthier and if King doesn't play, then you'll have a shot to beat them. Will they be favored? Yeah, they'll still be favored. But right now, Miami is not a team you can beat with this offensive line configuration because you just won't get those guys blocked. And that's just like, I mean – you allowed 11 tackles for loss in this last game on, what, 75, 76 snaps? Kenny Dillingham can say, you know, stand up there and talk about how, like, they got a lot of the penalties cleaned up, but this time they just got behind the chain so much. Yeah, but it, that's not play calling. A lot of that is your guys just getting beat. They're, they're not having quite as many of these just Olay missed assignments. There's still some. But like, to me, the offense doesn't look terribly coached. I think the defensive side has some coaching issues, and I do think they'll they'll probably have a new defensive coordinator next year, barring some miraculous turnaround. Uh, you almost have to, I think. But the offense is just a player issue to me. I'm I'm very confident in the track record that Mike Norvell and those guys have on the offensive side of the ball of getting things done and scoring points. They're pretty clearly overmatched at this point. All right, Mason asks, uh, "Hey guys, longtime listener." And huge fan, you kept my expectations for FSU football realistic for the last five years. My sanity thanks you. Uh, Mason, I appreciate it. I feel like we still overshot it this year, but um, I just couldn't have predicted that loss to Jacksonville State. You know, if you had told me they were missing this guy and this guy and this guy, I probably would have picked Wake and Louisville over them, as I did in the preview show. But in the preseason, we didn't know they were going to have all those guys out. Uh, my question is, do you think there will be a point this season where a light switch flips for this team and the penalties, turnovers, et cetera, start to decline to a normal, competent level. I read some quotes recently from the coaches where it seems they legitimately thought the complacency of this team as a whole wasn't going to be this bad. It's just the coach covering shortfalls for a legitimate belief. Look, I, I I saw what Jarvis Brownlee said, 
as far as they were kind of complacent coming out or, or whatever the term he used was. Um, lack of days, I think maybe is what he said. Do, do you really buy that? Because I, I don't. I, I don't buy that at all. I think that this is not a very good pass defense, especially when it has to play zone against a mobile quarterback. Um, and I think that some of these opponents are not staying mentally sharp throughout the game once they get a big lead. I think they're like, all right, now we got them. And to its credit, FSU keeps fighting. I just don't buy the, the, the idea that all of a sudden that FSU is just turning it on. I don't think FSU has an effort problem for the most part. I, I really don't. Um, will they have a decline in penalties? Maybe if they get some off, like, like some offensive lineup continuity, it's, it's possible. All right, let's go ahead and thank our friends at Congruity HR. Make sure to contact those guys at Congruity HR. An awesome, awesome time with him at Township. Matt Lewis has been a great sponsor for us, and they continue to be. And uh, look, the, the, the feedback has been great. Everybody who's called those guys up absolutely loves them. HR solutions, payroll solutions, whatever you need, Congruity helps your business with its alignment. So give them a shout, Congruity HR. Tell them the Nolcast sent you. All right, let's go to James. James says, uh, hey, uh, a little Travis Hunter talk, never heard of Noel fan. We have big dreams of Hunter excelling at receiver and corner, but realistically, he eventually has to pick one for the NFL if he achieves his potential. When a player has the talent to develop either way, how do evaluators decide where a player would develop best? Uh, well, with receiver, I think part of it is ball skills, right? Do you have great hands? Do you pluck the ball well? How do you play the ball in the air? If you're really, really good at that, I kind of want you to play receiver if I'm an evaluator. How do you mirror? How's your backpedal? How are your transitions? Are you a guy who is better when he knows where he's going, or are you a guy you know, relative to competition uh, who really excels with reacting? And I think Hunter, honestly, has pretty good reactionary skills and great closing speed, but his ball skills are also really nice. So it, it, that's why it's so hard. I, I do think he's going to play both ways in Tallahassee. Uh, Mark says, do you think – do you guys think when putting together this coaching staff, Norvell put too much emphasis on recruiting and not enough on on-field coaching ability? No, I actually think the opposite. And I think if they make some changes in the offseason, they will probably uh, get even better recruiters in here. Uh, look, It's going to become a harder product to sell for the 2023 class coming off of the season. Uh, I don't know much about the history of the most position coaches, so I may be way off base. Just going with seeing 13 games, uh, according to Mark. Uh, is this, if this is the case, with the state of the roster, is the recruiting over X's and O's a better strategy anyway? Um, so he was just finishing out his question. I, I, I kind of jumped the gun there. Look, I, I think they're going to go more heavily recruiting when they make some changes this offseason. Uh, I, I would set the the over-under for offseason coaching changes at like two and a half, probably. And I think that there will be at least one of those guys uh, who has changed out to get a better recruiter there. All right, uh, taking out the transfers with knowing what you know today, which FSU recruiting class is better, 2018 or 2020? That's an interesting question. Let's go ahead and pull up those classes just to remember exactly who was in them. There's, of course, going to be some bias in this answer because the 2020 class has only been on campus for, uh, for two years, where the 18 has been for four. Okay, let's see this. 
2020. Demory Tate, Brian Robinson, Chubba Purdy, Jadarius Green McKnight, Lawrence Toa Philly, Stephen Dix, Ja'Kai Douglas, Corey Wren, Kentron Poitier, J.L. McCluster, Robert Scott, Sidney Williams, Josh Griffiths, Thomas Schrader, Tate Rodemaker, Darian Williamson, Zane Herring, LaDamian Webb, Carter Boatwright, T.J. Lundy, Lloyd Willis, T.J. Davis, Marcus and Douglas, Master Mono, the punter, Malachi Moore, um, and then obviously the transfers. I, look, it's very hard to take out the transfers because those guys, uh, they, they really did, um, you know, they, they, they took um, – like they took a lot of transfers because they, they felt like that was the way to go. And, and they hit on some of those guys and they didn't hit on some of those other guys. If you're not like one of the very best teams in the country, your hit rate on transfers is not going to be insane. You're going to have some hits and you're going to have some real misses. And that's just kind of what happens. Um, let's go look at the 20, 2018 class. We already know a little more about the 2018 class as far as his washout rate and hit rate and all that kind of stuff. So, Jaden Lars would be, uh, AJ Lighton, Asante Samuel, Robert Cooper, Warren Thompson, Treshawn Harrison, Xavier Peters, Malcolm Lamar, Isaiah Bolden, uh, Gaynor, Cam McDonald, Christian Meadows, Briggs, Jordan Young, Anthony Grant, Christian Armstrong, Chapman, Jalen Ghost, Chaz Neal, and Keyshawn Hilton. I mean, I, I kind of lean towards 2018, ultimately, uh, as being better, but they're both bad. Right? They're both really bad. This is what happens when you have an early signing period class. Your attrition rate, as far as guys who don't finish out their eligibility, and I, I take out you know, dudes who go, go pro early of that, obviously, because that would be unfair to count that against the squad. It's going to be north of 70%. Like, like, think about the guys who actually finished their eligibility at FSU in that 2018 class. So Samuel went pro early, but would be no. Lighten, no. Cooper, yes. Thompson, no. Harrison, no. Peters, no. Lamar, no. Bolden, no. Gaynor, yes. McDonald, yes. Meadows, no. Um, Briggs, yes. Jordan Young, yes, so far. Anthony Grant, no. Armstrong, no. Adams, no. Chapman, no. Goss, yes. Chaz Neal, no. Uh, and Keyshawn Hilton, yes. I mean, that's well over half your dudes in that class who did not finish out uh, their time at FSU. And some of them lasted uh, you know, lasted not very long at all. Now, let's look here at FSU for 2020 class. This is going to be higher, like higher numbers because you've only had dudes on, on campus for two years. But DeMory Tate is still around. Brian Robinson is still around. Neither have been contributors at all so far. Purdy, the same thing. Not a contributor. Green McKnight, not a contributor at all. Toa Philly, third string running back uh, at best. Steven Dix hasn't seemed like, like he picked up the defense yet. Uh, Ja'Kai Douglas, somewhat of a contributor. Corey Wren, no. Kendron Poitier, no. McCluster, don't think he's ever going to play here. Robert Scott, that's a hit. Uh, Sidney Williams, I think is a hit, probably. Griffiths is gone. Schrader has the injury and uh, – you know, just doesn't look like a guy who's going to be contributing anytime soon physically. So he really needs to to get after it there now. Now that he's you know on sort of the the tail end of that recovery process, Rodemaker, I don't think he's going to do anything. Williamson, the receiver, we'll see. I mean, he he couldn't really catch last year and in camp, but he, he's he's played more in games this year. I know he's had a couple of decent practices. 
Payne Herring, we'll see. Uh, LaDamian Webb's already gone. Carter Potright, no, definitely not. DJ Lundy uh, is in the lineup, so I guess we count him. Floyd Willis, I still have some hopes for. TJ Davis, eh, probably not. Douglas, very questionable in my mind. Uh, Master Mono, the punter. And then uh, um, he has a walk-on. He shouldn't be listed in the uh, in the scholarship signing chart. So, yeah, like those classes are both really bad. That that really speaks to how bad FSU's roster is right now. They do not have functional depth at several positions. If the starters go down, the guys they have behind them are not ACC quality. Do you really want to throw another head coach in here anytime soon and have one of those classes? Because it's not just FSU. Even the even the staffs out there that are having success in the early signing period era, that first class they sign is terrible. Like the only one that's kept it together that I can find is Chip Kelly. Among the teams that like recruit, you know, to quote unquote high level. AM's got like a 70 plus percent attrition rate off their first class too. I think Florida was like the high 60s. So uh, again, the kids you think you're getting in the early signing period signing day are probably available for a bad reason. Either they're a bad kid or they have a flaw that that like the rating services didn't know about necessarily or didn't put enough weight into. And the coaching staffs out there who are established staffs probably in many cases passed on these kids, not all of them, but a decent number of them, right? And you, you were available to get them for a reason and not a good one. Kind of like I talked about in the transfer portal. Okay, it's not that easy to find some of these guys in the transfer portal. So, anyway, um, yeah. All right, cool. Let's go ahead, and I have an email question that I have to find here. How do I start it? Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, uh, so here's a question from uh, Esty, uh, and she writes, uh, hey, my name is Esty, uh, rhymes with Esty. Cool, I nailed it before I even re- read the pronunciation guide. Uh, listener, since Jimbo left and my partner and I met uh, y- met y'all at the first t- uh, Taggart spring game at the Champions Club. Awesome. Uh, as a research professor, I lean on y'all for evidence-driven uh, evidence uh, driven analysis on FSU football. Thanks for keeping hyperbole to an absolute minimum. Uh, first time posing a question. I'm hearing talk about firing coaches into me. That seems counter to the need for continuity. Still, I understand the need to get a strong foundation to move on from ineffective coaching. Could you all give a cost-benefit analysis if, let's say, FSU decides to move on from a coordinator or a coach? How far would this set you back in a rebuild? You know, it it's an interesting question, right? I do think that changing coordinators uh, and certainly some position coaches has a different effect than changing a head coach. Because if you change a head coach, everything changes. You're changing out everybody else. You have a top-down approach to like how you practice, how you eat team meals, how you lift. Everything changes. You can do a coordinator change where the most important, like where the, where the biggest impact of that change is going to be the scheme and how things are taught. A coordinator change is no guarantee that you're going to play better on that side of the ball, right? So let's just say defense. Uh, but – you could have a guy who gets in there and relates to the players better, somebody who they react to better, and I think that's possible. Uh, you know, you could have a guy who runs a scheme that fits the player skills a little bit better, maybe who evaluates these players in a different way. Um, 
certainly this defense is not playing with the confidence that it should have. This defense is not playing to the speed of the athletes that I believe it has, right? I'm not saying that they have a track team out there, uh, but I've seen these guys run in like recruiting camp settings and they clearly don't play to that athleticism, which to me means they're not fully bought into what the defensive staff is doing with them right now. Uh, Obviously, I think Woodson and Papuchas are extremely safe, but you know we'll we'll see about some of those other spots as the season goes on. Um, and I wouldn't expect like in-season changes. Obviously, I, I don't think there's really any need to do that at the current moment. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure everything's going to be on the table to be evaluated. It could also backfire. You know, you, you this would be what the. Technically, two, kind of three. This would be like the fourth defensive coordinator in five years if they made a move. That's not a lot of continuity, right? That's not going to help. But if you think you got the wrong guy in there, or you think that maybe you have a guy you liked, but it's just not 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 gelling with the recruits and with the players, you got to go ahead and make a change. All right, uh, this has been the Nolcast. Really appreciate it, and uh, we're at forty-five minutes. I will see you all again, uh, literally on what Thursday or Friday for our Syracuse preview and make sure you tune into that. I've been looking into Syracuse quite a bit, even though uh, I'm not real confident in this FSU team right now, especially with, with who's out and hurt. Um, I think some of the matchups dictate that uh, I might actually fire in a pick for FSU here in this game. I'm looking at a little more trying to see if I'm, if I'm missing anything, but this actually could be a game where uh, some of FSU strengths match up. Uh, pretty well to gain an advantage over some of the Syracuse weaknesses. So anyway, stay tuned next time.